everybody. Welcome back to Rocks Across the Pond. It's a curling podcast. Coming to you from Richmond, Virginia, I'm Ryan McGee, and joining me as always from Southampton, England, our professor of Peel, Dr. Jonathan Havercroft. Jonathan is starting to get uh, serious in the world of curling. You know how I know? How? Um, Because Virginia Tech is halfway through their football season. Um, The local amazing breweries in Richmond are starting to put out their Oktoberfest products. And it is 80 damn degrees outside here in Richmond. 80 degrees. Oh, it's cold here. It's like four Celsius. I don't know what that is. I watched the Heritage Classic last night from Regina, and it was snowing, and I have never been more jealous of Saskatchewan because it is 80 stupid degrees here. I turned my air conditioning on today. Wow. <laughs> that's that's uh, and, a bit late for that. Yeah. And the other reason I know that things are getting starting to get serious in curling is we are starting to see the word championship appear at the end of these events. And the one we want to talk about today is the Pacific Asia Curling Championship. We are going to decide some world spots uh, coming up here next week, Jonathan. Um, and we have a really awesome guest that is going to help us preview that event. Do you want to introduce them? Yep. So this is someone I met in Aberdeen at the World Mixed, uh, Jason Chang, who's the skip of the Hong Kong team, both the mixed team and the men's team. So he just finished playing in Aberdeen and now he's, I think, back in Canada for a few days rest before he jet lags himself the other way by flying to China for the Pacific Asian Championships next week. So welcome to the podcast, Jason. Thanks very much, Ryan and Jonathan. Great to be on. Yeah, so you are the skip of Team Hong Kong, and that is obviously a de- developing yeah, that's curling right. nation, as it were. Um, this is your this is your fourth time at PACCs representing Hong Kong. Just tell us how Hong Kong curling started, how you got involved with the program, and how you were able to start uh, going to these championships and, and representing that country. Yeah, Ryan. Um- well, first of all, it's a it's a big honor to uh, be on your podcast. So thanks very much for inviting me <laughs> that, in. That thanks is for the, inviting me to talk about the Pacifics. That is the first time anyone has ever said that. <laughs> uh, well, you know what? I've been a longtime follower of your podcast, so it was a big thrill to meet Jonathan in person in Aberdeen at the World Mix. So it's good to know that um, you're the. And you're right. It's good to know that you're the other person besides my mom who listens to the podcast. So I finally get to meet the 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 second person that is listening. <laughs> <laughs> That's right. And of course, Jonathan and I are now forever uh, uh, forever linked because we have both played for uh, Rob Brechtless, who is uh, not quite a nobody in Ontario. <laughs> I, made, I made that very clear. <laughs> and I will never but, live that uh, Anyway, Ryan, yeah, this is... <laughs> This is my uh, fourth season playing for Hong Kong. And um, how, how curling all got started? Well, it started with a man named Mr. John Lee, the president of the Hong Kong Curling Association. And he got hooked on curling after seeing it on TV through the, you know, in the past Olympic Games. And he looked around and was saying, wait a minute, there, there's, there's no curling association in Hong Kong. But this is a type of sport where maybe the Hong Kong people would actually be interested in you know, sort of a tactical and methodical, and it's not, you know, super aggressive like hockey or, or, or rugby. 
So this might be the type of sport that the Hong Kong people would gravitate to. So, you know, six or seven years ago, I think, he started traveling the world. He went to Scotland. He went to the quarry to look at the rocks and how they're made. He took ice making lessons and talked to all those different folks and got back to Hong Kong. And I think five or six years ago, formed the Hong Kong Curling Association. And, uh, you know, initially, uh, he got a bunch of people he knew. Um, in the sports field. So he's, I think, studied sports management and, and always worked in the sports area. Um, found some people who were interested to form that federation um, and, uh, and entered a men's team into the Asia Pacifics, which a bunch, with a bunch of novices from Hong Kong. But that really, and the, the reason they did that was to get some publicity, right? And to get the word out that Hong Kong curling has started. And soon after that, that's when I got involved. I heard that they they went to the Pacific site. I saw how they were doing, you know, and it was a, as a tough go for them, as you may imagine, being a lot of novice curlers in a pretty good field in the Pacifics. But uh, it generated the, pub the publicity that they were looking for. And after that, there were people in Hong Kong who started inquiring. And of course, those who were born in Hong Kong, who now live abroad, uh, started inquiring as, about playing for Hong Kong as well. So how, how are your team, your national team members selected? Is it... Uh just kind of self-formed by the association? Do you have a play-down process? Or is it anyone with Hong Kong nationalities eligible to play? Yeah, so, I mean, the eligibility are, are basically the, the same eligibility that any any individual has to go through to, to qualify for a national team, whether it's residency or, or through, you know, having a, a citizenship. Um, so for us, there isn't yet a national championship for Hong Kong. Um, and for, you know, people who may be not so uh, familiar with Hong Kong and, and Chinese Taipei. Although we're sort of a territory of China, um, we do have our own Olympic committees, and that's why we, we send our own Olympic teams as well when we have um, go to those international games and then world championships. But currently, there's no national championship. I think down the road, when we have enough critical mass of competitive curlers, obviously that will be one of the, the next goals for the association, but that's still a ways down the line. Um, so right now, the teams are formed. Uh, let's say by the associations with input from the players. So how are how is how do you have eligibility? Were you born in Hong Kong, or do you just have? Yeah, I was born in Hong Kong. Yeah, I grew up in Hong Kong for the first, you know, the young part of my life, and then uh, my parents uh, moved to Canada, and uh, I guess I had to come along. So, uh, uh, but um, you know, I still have family back in in Hong Kong as well as in mainland China. And so, how did you get into curling? Presumably, it was in Canada, not Hong Kong. So. Uh, yeah, I started, I started curling in, in Canada. I got started pretty late, actually, in my late teens, um, but uh, in Toronto. So I curl out of the East York Curling Club, and uh, that's where I got my start, and I've been curling at East York for the last 19 years. And did you play, like, what, what kind of level did you play at East York? Were you kind of club level, playing local bond spiels? Um, yeah, I mean, I, I mean, I picked it up pretty quickly. I love curling, actually. I watched it a lot. When I moved to Canada, uh, and, you know, the only channels we got were the ones, you know, when we didn't have cable, and we got the CBC, and CBC Sports Saturday, and curling was on all the time, and I watched a lot of curling um, back when I was younger, and I, I remember the, the first briar I ever watched, I believe, was the 1991 briar, so I still have memories of watching, as a kid, the 1991 briar, and I was really hooked. I would pretend I was curling at home. I would throw like tennis balls around on the on the on the carpet and pretend I'm sweeping the floor. It took me a long time to actually do it in the curling rink, right? But um, no, I was already hooked as a kid. So 
Um, yeah, when I started, I picked it up pretty quickly. I learned a lot of the strategy, so it was more learning about the, the technical and the fundamental sides of how to how to throw the rock and how to sweep. And yeah, and then, you know, you play a few local bond deals and then a few people, you know, recognized that I had some talent, invited me to, to play on, a, you know, on a slightly more serious level. So, you know, as I mentioned, I played with Retchless uh, a little bit as well and some, you know, more competitive bond spiels. I've tried playing down in Ontario, which is incredibly tough. Uh, I've done a little bit of cash feeling on the Ontario curling tour um, over the years. Uh, never really had enough time to make a full commitment uh, and be super serious about it and really making a, a serious run just because of school and of work. But uh, I've, I've sort of, I'll call myself sort of semi-competitive um, and uh, been playing at East York Growing uh, Club basically two, two, two leagues a week for pretty much the last 18, 19 years with a couple of years of exception where I only played one week, uh, one, one day a week. So is the rest of your team kind of spread throughout Canada? Or are they spread throughout the world? And then how are you guys able to come together to prepare for uh, this championship? Well, this is one of the toughest parts about, um, you know, curling for Hong Kong. And I know a lot of the developing uh, curling nations face the same problem is, um, you know, team teammates are living in all parts of the world. We have probably right now half of our curlers who play competitively live in Hong Kong, or maybe 40%, and the other 60% live elsewhere, mostly in Canada. Mm -hmm. uh, but we have had some live in the U.S. Uh, as well, or one individual live in the U.S. who's now living in Canada for school again. So um, it is a combination. And even in Canada, we're not in the same place. I'm in Toronto. Um, one of my uh, my vice for this year's Pacifics, who was my second last year, he was in the U.S. for school for the last few years. Now he's in Kingston doing his master's. So we, we can't really get together all that often either but what we do try to do is do some practice early part of the season sort of this august september uh october period uh and we encourage the players who are playing in the pacifics or in the world mix who are living in hong kong to come to canada uh stay with uh one of us and actually get some good amount of training on real curling ice maybe even get in a bond spiel uh if we can so how much, how much curling actually takes place in Hong Kong? I know that it's in the southern portion. Uh, it's, if you look at mainland China, uh, Hong Kong is really far south. So how much, how much curling actually takes place in Hong Kong and how has, how has the sport developed, um, developed there? Yes. So, I mean, Hong Kong doesn't have a very long winter, as you can imagine, and it's, uh, <laughs> yeah. it is right at the south of, of south of China, and it's also a very densely packed metropolitan city. So it's got a lot of things working against, you know, winter sports and curling being, a, you know, a success, right? Um, so there isn't any dedicated curling facility in Hong Kong right now. I think that is, of course, the dream of the president and the association mm -hmm. and all the Hong Kong curlers is to have a dedicated curling facility. So initially, um, you know, three or four or five years ago, uh, they might be able to curl on arena ice once every couple of months. Now, uh, as of earlier this year, they have a dedicated two-hour, I believe, time slot every single uh, Monday, I believe, at uh, Glacier Festival Walk, where they have arena ice, and our, our players are out there now on a weekly basis throwing some rocks. Conditions, of course, you know, it's not the best, right? It's very frosty. 
It's very foggy. You know, I throw with a tough delivery. My joke is I don't think if I'm throwing my delivery, the guy at the other end could actually see me through the fog. But, um, <laughs> but then, you know, if I actually played there, I guess I, I would hit the broom every single time because no one could tell me I didn't. Um, <laughs> but, but that is a good start, right? To have, you know, a dedicated time mm -hmm. slot, even if it's on arena ice every single week so that the players can go out and play. And what they also do have there is you can drop in you know, pay, pay your fee and, and learn how to curl there as well. But right now there's no leagues, for example, there's, there's no bond spiels. Um, you know, it's just sort of, you know, come in and, and practice or, or learn to get some basics mm -hmm. of learn to curl. Right. One of the things that I love, the reason that I love this championship, the PACCs is this, this is really where curling is developing. I mean, we talk about how curling is booming here in the U S where I am, but where, where the real development is happening is in this region. And it's where we have these developing curling countries that are really kind of starting to come into their own. And what you just touched on is something that's happening even in Japan, which um, compared to the rest of this region is a fairly mature curling country, but they don't have, um, from, from talking to JD Lind, they don't even have uh, dedicated curling ice in Tokyo. And I think that's kind of the next step in, in this region, right? Is to get dedicated curling facilities and get dedicated curling in those enormous population centers. And I think that's when it's really going to start to boom. Is that right? Yeah, absolutely. And I know the WCF, the World Curling Federation, is putting a lot of effort into developing curling in the Pacific Asia region because it sees it as a big growth market. And certainly we're, we've been really happy to see all the growth happening, you know, down in the U.S. where you are, Ryan. But I, I do think that sort of next big uh, place is in the Pacific uh, Asia area. And there's lots of places here where we uh, where we don't have dedicated ice, even in Australia, where they've been curling for decades and decades, they still don't have a dedicated curling facility in Australia. And as you mentioned, you know, there isn't a dedicated facility in, in, in Tokyo, you have to take and I've curled in Japan, uh, when I lived in Tokyo for a couple months, um, when I was on a work exchange, and I took a bullet train out two hours to get to the, the nearest curling facility where the Tokyo curling club members curl. And it was funny, because they, they, they go there for a Saturday and they play like two or three games in their leagues on one day because it takes you so long to get there. So you cram in two or three games uh, uh, every single time so that you only go there once a month. That's, that's basically the English system too. So I play in a league at Fenton's rink and it's uh, once a month, two games on a Saturday. So That's the way it is in, in Richmond, Virginia is we can't get we can't really get curling ice in the fall. It's tough to, in the fall and winter, we, we, we struggle to get ice from the hockey players. So once a month, uh, they go down to uh, Triangle Curling Club in Durham, which is two hours away, and they play a couple games and come back. So yeah, very, very similar um, on three different, uh, three different continents there. Um, we, we hear about... Um, you know, the reason the WCF kind of did that curling world cup last year was we, we hear about, Oh, um, TV viewership in, in Korea, in China is, is sky high. Um, you know, you talk to, uh, the guy who runs curling geek and anytime that he would do a team Korea game, um, just how many people would show up to just watch him put, um, pictures of rocks on a fake uh, on a fake house to demonstrate what 
uh, the Korean team was doing. Um, has that translated to grassroots in, in those two countries? Are you able to give us any kind of, of insight into Korea and China and how curling has developed at a grassroots level there? Yeah, I, we certainly have heard it and see it. So in Korea uh, and in China, what we're seeing is a lot of more different teams uh, coming onto the stage and actually playing on uh, at, in the WCT uh, Cashville circuit and, and on the WCT in, in Asia as well. Um, and we also see when we, we played in Korea twice for the Pacific, we played last year in Korea as well as three year, three seasons ago. And we're also seeing there's a lot of young young kids coming out and watching the games in the in the arena. So we know that there's there's lots of grassroots curling and kids getting into the curling programs there. Certainly in Korea, and anecdotally, I hear that it's the same way in China. I think in China they're also very motivated because of the Olympic Games that they're hosting, the Winter Olympic Games that they're hosted. But um, you know, even if a fraction of the population takes interest in curling in, in China with their big population, that's a, potentially a lot of new curlers. All right, so let's let's get into this year's event, and we'll talk about your teams first, and then we'll kind of start uh, previewing what we can expect from the the men's and women's sides at the event, which uh, starts coming up very soon. It starts November second, and it's in Shenzhen, China, which uh, I believe you said is actually fairly close to Hong Kong, right? Yeah, very close to Hong Kong. Uh, so all of the players on the Hong Kong team who don't reside in Hong Kong are flying uh, back through Hong Kong and then either taking a train or, or a car uh, across the border and to Shenzhen. Um, so for, for your teams, kind of tell us about um, kind of what the, as, you know, from, you know, the, the, the 30,000 feet level, kind of what the aspirations are for the association. And then what are, what are your specific goals for, for, for this week in this tournament? Yeah, I think for the association, because this event is so close to Hong Kong, they are doing a lot of promotion to the locals in Hong Kong to come out and and cheer for our team and go to Shenzhen. Um, and as well, I believe there's been some um, local media in Hong Kong who who may be uh, covering uh, covering the event. So uh, that's really exciting. The fact that the location is in Shenzhen and it's being so close to Hong Kong allows more promotion uh, to happen um, for the teams. The men's and the women's, you know, we're right, you know, our teams are right in that pack of middle grouping of countries, right, with Australia and New Zealand and Chinese Taipei and Kazakhstan. And we're basically, this pack is chasing the, the group at the top, which is your, basically your professional teams from China, Korea, and Japan, who have a lock on basically three of the four playoff spots for all intents and purposes, right? Unless something drastic and startling happens. You know, they've been the three of the four teams in the playoffs for I don't know how many years going back now. So the best rest of us are trying to claim one that one final playoff spot, you know, to have some hope of making it to the to the podium, making it to the world championships or making it to the uh, the world qualification event. So I can I can actually answer that question for you because I went and I, I had a couple of hours uh, while my son was taking a nap to actually look into this. Uh, the last time that any team other than China, Korea, Japan finished in the top three was 2012 when Australia did it. Um, does it 
does it does it make it that much tougher for you guys on the men's side that there's only one guaranteed spot for Worlds this year and then two and three are going to be the ones going to the World Qualification event rather than, you know, on the women's side, if you make the semis, you're at least getting into that qualification event and then the top two are going to Worlds? Yeah, that certainly makes it a lot more difficult, right? Uh, you know, not only do you have to get into the top four, now you've got you've got to win one of your playoff games, right? Um, so that, that makes it that much more difficult. And it's a, a quirk that came out of the new uh, qualification system to the men's and women's world championships now, where we have the world qualification event and where the, uh, the guarantee, one of the spots that is allocated to your zone is lost if your zone finishes last in the men's and women's. Um, and that happened to the men's on the uh, men's side. Uh, so yes, that makes it a lot more difficult. It certainly maybe changes our outlook a little bit. It might even take some pressure off of, you know, the teams as well, knowing that, you know, we are really the strong underdogs now to actually have a, a spot at the world qualification event or the direct pass to the worlds. Um, you know, it might take some pressure off of us too, because it's not just about getting to the playoffs. Now you, you still have, that's not really the pressure point. The pressure point is actually would be winning the playoff game. Um, if you made the playoff. And yeah, the, the, the most interesting round on the women's side is going to be those two semifinal games. And then the most interesting mount, round on the men's side is going to be that, that battle for first and that battle for third. Um, whereas on the women's side, um, the semifinal is the do or die round. Yeah, exactly. Exactly. And, you know, on the men's side, for sure, I mean, not only do you want to finish first uh, in your round robin and then both the women's and men's side finishing first in the round robin presumably it will go to one of the top three countries japan china and korea they get a big advantage because they do play a fourth place team and we do have to recognize that there is a real gap uh you know they're they are the clear favorites over whoever comes out as fourth but that the fourth qualifier right whether it be new zealand chinese taipei ourselves australia kazakhstan um but we have also seen in the last three Pacifics that one of the top three teams has always lost at least one of the games to that middle of the pack. Um, and last year, New Zealand had a great week. Uh, they broke through and almost maybe should have won the bronze medal. Oh, they came so close. <laughs> the year before, Australia, I believe, actually had two wins against the top teams and actually finished second in the round robin. Um, and the year before that, Chinese Taipei had a win against one of the top three teams in the round robin. So they are beatable. You just don't beat them very often. So, um, you know, maybe it's our turn this year to beat one of the top three teams. Who knows? Why do you think that gap exists now? Because you go back not even a decade ago and you saw Australia and New Zealand um, being able to break through and go to Worlds. Why do you think the, the, the gap between China, Korea, uh, China, Korea Japan and the rest of the rest of the region has developed? Well, I think a lot of it boils down to money and resources that mm -hmm. China, Korea, and Japan are, are putting in. As you mentioned, you know, J.D. Lind, uh, a Canadian, has been coaching in Japan, and all these countries are bringing in the top coaches, um, and none of the other federations are able to do that, right? And, and we know China is, is you know, has, has a major effort, right, to, to put in uh, investment in the coaching staff uh, to get the best results they can. Uh, same with Korea. You know, we, we saw Bob Ursel coach there. Um, Peter Gallant coach in Korea as well. Marcel Rocks coached in China. Now I think it's being headed up by Hale Lindholm. Uh, so 
the, the, the resources, that investment in time and, and money and being able to send them out to competition. And quite frankly, it's, it's their full-time job. So um, certainly the, the guys in Australia and the guys in New Zealand, they're very talented. And if they could put in more time, you know, we could probably get a few more wins against those top three teams. Um, right now, it's, it's just, uh, you, you do need a little bit of luck. You need to play really well. Uh, maybe get a little bit lucky. You'll sneak in a win here or there. But, uh, you know, as, as you've shown in the, in the, in the records and the standings, we, we haven't had a medalist uh, outside those three countries for a long time. All right, so uh, let's 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 break down this competition. We'll start on the men's side, and we'll start with those top three. Uh, China this year is being skipped by Zhou Chaun, who we saw at last year's Worlds. Uh, this is his fifth PACC. It's his second as a skip. Um, he played lead for Zhang Jialiang in 2014 when they won gold. Uh, this team made it to Worlds last year and went 2-10. and ten. Uh, China, interestingly enough, won eight straight PACCs from 2007 through 2014 and has not won since. So they, uh, they are looking to break that streak. Uh, Japan, uh, they won gold last year, and it's the same team uh, led by Yuta Matsumura. Uh, they went on to go, they went on to finish fourth at worlds. Uh, this is the 11th PACC for their third Tetsuro Shimizu, who, uh, has played in several Olympics. He's been, he's been around the block. The, the rest of his team, um, you know, they're, they're new to the world stage, but they have been a solid team for a long time. They kind of came together last year. Uh, Shinya Abe, who is their lead, uh, kind of stepped back from from skipping. Yuta Matsumura took over his skip. He's throwing the fourth stones, and once they did that, this team really took off, and they became uh, far and away kind of the best team in Japan last year. Korea, um, a new face who is not a new face, uh, skipped by Kim Chang Min. Uh, this team did not per- did not participate in PACCs uh, last year, but they were the Olympic team for Korea in 2018. It's the sixth PACC for Kim Cheng Min. Uh, they they uh, won the last time that he was in this event in 2017. They finished fourth at that year's Worlds. Uh, again, this was the Olympic team in 2018 where they finished seventh going four and five. Uh, this team, they have the same lead from that Olympic team with Lee Kaibok, but two members of that team are actually going through their mandatory uh, military service and are, uh, are, are not available for, for this year's event. So, uh, Jason, uh, can you kind of help us uh, sort these three teams out? Do you think there's, uh, there's one team that kind of stands out from, the, from this group of three? Yeah, I mean, I've had the uh, pleasure of playing and uh, against all three of those skips, um, and they're all excellent throwers. You know, that year that uh, Kim Chang Min won the Pacifics and went to the Olympics, um, and there were a lot of pundits who were saying Korea had no chance of, of meddling on both the, the men's and the women's side. And, and for sure, I was saying on the women's side, you know, be careful what you say, because I, I think they're better than you think they are. And even on the men's side, I was thinking they'll, they'll probably surprise a few people um, and, and, and what they can do. So the skips are all are on all three of those teams are really solid. But I, I would, if I were to handicap the competition, I think the favorite has to go to Japan, the defending champs, Yuta Matsumura's team. Uh, they are so solid from lead to fourth. 
Um, I think they just have the most consistency from what I've seen. They've also had some good success on the, on the WCT. So um, I would put the, uh, Team Japan as the favorite uh, this year. Uh, they also, um, it's it's interesting on the on the women's side in Japan. You see these kind of corporate owned teams, and they 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 all work for kind of the same company, and that company kind of helps helps fund them, and and and, and helps those help help helps those teams get out on tour. You don't really see that on the men's side as much uh, in Japan, but you do with this one team, and I think that that's kind of going in the right direction for for whatever reason. Um, women's curling in Japan has always been one, a lot more popular and uh, two, a lot more successful uh, on the world stage. But Japan, um, I, I think that they're a lot deeper on the men's side than, than maybe they've ever been. Uh, and this team with having kind of this corporate backing and their team Consadol, um, uh, they're, uh, I, th- I think it's kind of going in the right direction on the men's side for, for Japanese curling. Oh, I agree with you. I certainly the the Japanese women I think historically has had uh, you know maybe more success or at least fame or notoriety even in Japan and outside. But I do agree with you that uh, you know the, the men's side is coming up as well in, in Japan and, and the the corporate uh, these corporate teams is that's interesting uh, you know sort of phenomenon that's happening in Japan. But I think a lot of people also don't know that in Japan there is a lot of grassroots curling. There are a bunch of real dedicated curling clubs, not in Tokyo, but and they're opening a new facility up in the northern part of Japan. So curling is still growing in Japan, even though it's a mature market. I think it is still growing in Japan as well. And you know, with the um, you know the breakup of that last uh, team uh, skipped by Yusuke Murazumi that uh, you know had Tetsuro Shimizu on and uh, Yamaguchi, um, you know those guys all going to different teams now. That's uh, you know creating actually more competition and, and more depth in the Japanese men's race. Yeah, it's pretty crazy. The breakup of that one team is kind of what has created this depth in men's curling is uh, now you've got Morizumi back skipping his own team with uh, with his brother and Masaki Iwe. Uh, and then uh, Kosuke Hirata, uh, Tsuyoshi Yamaguchi, and Tetsuro Shimizu go to these three other teams. And all of a sudden you have four pretty solid teams uh, there in Japan just because this one team that had uh, had so much success and had been into the Olympics broke up right before the start of last season. Yeah, exactly. And they're all out traveling to Canada and playing uh, on the WCT. Before it was really just the, the Morozumi team we saw. And on the women's side, more more or less, it was just the uh, Fujisawa team. But now you're seeing three and four or five different Japanese teams touring and playing in the cash field circuit. So it's, it's good for uh, Japanese curling for sure. And Jonathan, last year, you were really impressed with Yuta Matsumura as a skip, even in really his first year uh, skipping. Just talk about what what you saw out of him that that impressed you so much. I was just going off the, uh, I guess it was the bronze medal game. Um, and a few other times in the week, he, he changes his calls up a lot, uh, which I thought was interesting. I think a lot of skips... Uh, especially their openings, you kind of watch a, a game or two, and they they kind of have a, a rote game plan. Matsumura was was kind of varying all the time, like just always varying his openings. The other thing that was he called a shot. I still remember it, just like 
Uh, and the announcers, nobody thought it was there, but he's kind of able to get this interesting squib shot going. So he had a pretty good sense of the angles and kind of was good at manipulating the stones around. So I, I just was kind of impressed with, uh, yeah. I'd say it was a, a more creative skip. And, uh, you know, sometimes you watch the slams and it's like, you know what Brad Gushu is going to call all the time. Right? It's just like the, the pro teams all have their things let in. Matsumura just struck me as a skip who was, you know, if like the analogy be a pitcher, like that he's happy to change speeds, he's happy to change his calls, and it's not just you know we're up one with hammer. This is where the guard's gonna go. He he'd uh, change rock positioning all the time. It was and was a bit more um, creative in my mind than a, than a lot of the other skips at the worlds, including Adin and, and Cooey. Not that they're not great curlers, but uh, Matsumura was certainly kind of a lot more creative, I'd say. Yep. So I, I I would also call them the favorite. I would not be surprised if Kim Cheng Min um, pulls the upset in that in that final. He's 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 been around the block. He's been in this tournament a bunch. He's won it. Um, while while Matsumura is the favorite, obviously anything can happen in in a championship game. And I, I wouldn't be surprised if we saw Kim Cheng Min get the the direct route uh, to Worlds um, outside of the top three. Uh, Australia is there. Uh, they are actually skipped by uh, Sean Hall, who is playing third for them. Uh, Dean Hewitt is throwing fourth rocks. This is uh, his sixth PACC. He finished fourth two years ago in 2017. The Aussies are looking for their first Worlds since 2008. Um, in addition to them, you have Scott Becker, who is back skipping New Zealand. I love Scott Becker because he is he he looks like an average curler. He's kind of rough around the edge, edges. He doesn't like to shave. I'm a big Scott Becker fan, um, so I, I I love this team. They came they came very close uh, to qualifying for Worlds both uh, at PACCs last year and then again at the World Qualification event. Uh, came very close to to making it to Worlds. They also have a couple of junior curlers on that team who uh, really impressed me last year at PACCs. They're that they're that team, Jonathan. That was. That was on that team that won the World Junior Bs that you were at, uh, and then they were very successful at at World Juniors at the tail end of of last year. A couple of those guys are are playing with Scott Becker, but um, a strong team there. Uh, Jason, of course, there's your team. Um, you guys will be right there for that for for a, a shot at uh, at the semis. Uh, Chinese Taipei, uh, Randolph Shin is skipping that team. Kazakhstan, they are skipped by Victor Kim, who is just a lovely human being. Nigeria is making their first PACC's appearance, which we love. We love new uh, new curling nations being able to participate uh, in these events. And then Qatar will be there as well. They have one win in their three previous PACC appearances. Um, how do you guys kind of see the, the rest of the countries uh, shaping out? Uh, and Jason, if you want to, <laughs> if you want to uh, take a step step back and let Jonathan handle it so that you're not having to talk about your own team. Go right <laughs> well, ahead. Did Saudi Arabia pull out? Or? Yeah, we were th- expecting Saudi Arabia to be there as well. At least uh, the initial uh, list of teams that, what, that we got during Congress included Saudi Arabia, but I, I guess they must have pulled out. Um, and I'm not sure if, well, what, what reasons that could, that could be. Um, but uh, so we're, we're sad to not have Saudi Arabia um, in there and have a field of uh, 11 teams. But uh, we have a pretty good field right now. And, you know, I'm sure Jonathan can, can do a pretty jo- good job handicapping it. But I think most of the teams who are, who are back, there are some, ex- you know, players who played last year 
Um, and then there's some uh, new players as well. And that goes with uh, our team as well. Um, in Hong Kong, we're bringing on a, a, a new lead who skipped the junior team at Junior B's last year, Woody, and a, a, a more novice curler, Kelvin, who's going to keep our benches warm uh, and, of course, do all the great things that an alternate needs to do um, for us. So, you know, in terms of the teams, we, we are familiar with uh, most of those teams to some extent. Um, and obviously, they're familiar with with me as well. We're excited to see Nigeria there. Uh, and... Uh, they're, they're, uh, I think they're mostly uh, from, the, from the U.S., uh, but I know they're doing a lot to try to grow the sport in Nigeria as well, including trying to get a curling facility going there. So um, Scott Becker, you mentioned Scott and, and what a great team that uh, he put together and a great run he put together last year. Uh, you know, I would have to say that based on the fact that they've got, you know, the, the consistent team coming back in terms of their lineup, that they're, they may be the favorite. Uh, you know, for that fourth spot in the playoffs um, compared to the other teams. But, you know, any one of uh, New Zealand, Chinese Taipei, Hong Kong, Kazakhstan, Australia, I think have a legitimate chance of getting into their fourth place. Jonathan, any comments from you? Yeah, I'd agree with that. I guess the big question is if Victor Kim's going to be there because he wasn't at the World Mix. I'm not sure what's going on there. But uh, so if he, if he, if he, my understanding is he wasn't able to travel uh, to the world mix. So I guess the question one is if he's able to travel to the Asia Pacifics, but um, Kazakhstan curling is definitely rising very quickly. So I definitely put them in that, that tranche. And then, yeah, Nigeria, Qatar will be kind of battling it out, I think for the last spot. Um, I think Nigeria is a bit like Kazakhstan in the sense that I anticipate them to to grow pretty quickly. Uh, I hung out a fair bit with Harold Woods at the World Mixed, and uh, you know he curls pretty regularly at uh, Peachtree Curling Club in Atlanta. TJ Cole uh, and his family are all based in Denver, so they've got access to permanent ice year round. And uh, you know, at least for the time being, they could probably grow their program through dedicated facilities in the U.S. So. Uh, not this time, I don't think. Just uh, uh, they, you know, they struggled a bit at the the mixed, but um, it's kind of a country to watch for too. Sometimes these countries look as you're kind of like, where, where's that country coming? But they kind of come on pretty strong. Uh, yeah, I, I think it's it's pretty accurate. I'd say the New Zealand junior team did fantastic last year, and they they all still have junior eligibility, and they managed to get out of the B pool and stay up. So and and. Uh, send a pretty strong Sweden team down. So uh, they've got talent on that team, definitely. Uh, yeah, so that's, I, I kind of agree with the, the, you know, the breakdown, right? You've got the three kind of countries with professional fully funded programs that they'll probably, you know, be top of the table at the end of the week. And then it'll be those, those middle six, I guess, battling it out for uh, the final spot. So it'll be a lot of close games there. Maybe do you have tiebreakers there or is it uh, straight up DSC? These yeah, days? no, there's no tiebreaker games. So uh, we, we go to, well, we go to the head to head first. And if that doesn't solve anything and you get into this three way one and one record, uh, then you'll go to the, uh, the draw shot challenge. So draw shot challenge is really important for us at the Pacifics because of that. Um, because there's uh, you know, a lot of permutations that can end up with a, a three way tie at one and one against each other for one of the playoff spots. Um, you know, in terms of, you know, our preparation for Hong Kong with some new players uh, as well, me having a different vice thrower this year, Justin's moving up from second to vice because uh, my vice from the previous couple of years, Derek, 
due to uh, school commitments, could not play. Um, you know, there's some changes to our lineup, some changes to Randy's uh, lineup from Chinese Taipei. So depending on how well we get adjusted, um, you know, quickly at PAC, will determine how, how strong we can come out uh, out of the gate. Um, so hopefully we'll, we'll get off to a good start. But, uh, you know, with new players and, and not having played with Woody myself, haven't played with Woody before, haven't even met him yet, um, only had a few Skype calls. So uh, it'll, it'll be a challenge, but uh, we'll, we'll try to use that first couple of days at Pacific before games start to get to know each other, uh, you know, go through some of our team, you know, operating procedures and, and hopefully, uh, you know, start off uh, the week well. We play Chinese Taipei right out of the gate, I believe. So uh, that's uh, always a fun game. Randy's a great thrower. Uh, you know, he, he has won games for his team uh, single-handedly, uh, but um, we'll see how he adapts to a new lineup as well. And that team finished uh, fourth in 2016. Where are they, where are they based out of? Um, they are in a combination of British Columbia and the U.S. Um, I believe they have a few players out in uh, the Minneapolis-St. Paul area. Uh, I believe that's where their alternate Henry is from. Um, Randy's out in, in or around Vancouver. Uh, so mostly out in the west coast of Canada and in that Minneapolis-St. Paul area, I believe. Right. Do we want to move on over to the women's side of things? Yes. All right. So again, we'll start with uh, what what we kind of call the big three because the last time that a team other than China, Japan, Korea sneaked into the top three was 2011. So even even further back than the men's side. We'll start with China. And Jonathan, I kind of pride ourselves as a podcast that we try to know as much about Pacific Asia curling as as anyone else who 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 does curling podcasts. I know so little about the Chinese skip. It took it took a lot uh, to find out anything. Um, so even even us priding ourselves on on knowing as much about Pacific Asia curling as we do, um, it, it it was it was very hard to find, uh, find facts on, on this team. Uh, so China this year at PACCs is being skipped by Han Yu. Uh, she played at the 2016 youth Olympics where they, uh, they had mixed doubles where they kind of just paired people willy nilly. And then they had a mixed team, um, that was based, uh, by nation. So she played on the mixed team. Uh, she was the lead on the Chinese mixed team at the 2016 Youth Olympics, where they went two and five. For doubles, she paired with, of all people, Ross White, where they won silver. <laughs> <laughs> um, all right. So she's skipping this team. Uh, the third is uh, Zhang Lijun, who is the third four. Oh, where did I put that note? Where did it go? Uh, Zhang Lijun is the third for Zhang Yailun uh, on her team that plays uh, on the WCT. That team has had a pretty successful year this year. They won the Hokkaido Bank Classic to kick off the season, and they were third at the Advix Cup uh, earlier this year. So kind of... This team has been kind of thrown together willy-nilly. Uh, you have a skip that doesn't really have a whole lot of, of women's level experience, and you have a third who uh, has also been kind of shoehorned into this team who plays third on a pretty successful 
women's WCT team. I have no idea uh, why they have done this, but they have, uh, and that's the team that will represent China. Uh, Japan, it's last year's uh, Japanese champion, which is team Chubu Electric Power. Uh, this team is skipped by Sena Nakajima, who throws second rocks. Throwing fourth is Ikui Kitazawa, and the third is the former skip, Shiaki Matsumura. Um, yes, of the curling family, the uh, the strong family uh, of the of Matsumura. Uh, yes, related to Yuta from the men's side. Uh, this team has played in seven events so far this year, and they've had a lot of success. Uh, they've got wins over Jennifer Jones. They have a win over Robin Silvernagel, over Jamie Sinclair. Um, they won the Japanese championships last year and then went on to finish fourth at Worlds. Uh, this is the third PACCs for Shiaki Matsumura. Uh, the Korean team... Kind of a new team, kind of not. Um, skipped by Jim Unchi and the, Jonathan. This is kind of the curling version of the GIF versus JIF debate. Um, I've heard a lot of people, especially that call curling games on the internet, um, pronounce her last name as Gim. But then I saw a WCF interview with her where she she said Jim. So she says Jim. So I'm saying Jim. Um, skipped by Jim Unchi. Uh, this team stole in the last in to beat Kim Minji in the Korean final this year. So it's the third different team representing Korea um, in three years. Of course, two years ago, you had the Garlic Girls with Kim Eun-young um, representing Korea last year for a litany of reasons that we have gone over many times. Kim Eun-young was not on tour. Um, Kim Min-ji represented Korea and they were a junior eligible team. Um, but now this year, Jim eun won the Korean championship way back in July, I think it was. Uh, but this is, this is her fifth PACCs. It's her first as a skip. Uh, and this team, as the Korean national team, has also been in seven events on the WCT so far this year. They actually won the KW Fall Classic. Uh, they made the semis at the Shorty Jenkins. And they have wins over Team Stern, Team Sinclair, Team Muirhead, and Team Felcher. Uh, they are trying to continue Korea's streak. Korea has won the last three PACCs on the women's side. I kind of like this team. I like the way they played at the the Korean championships and the in the games I was able to see. Um, I know that Team Nakajima is probably going to be the favorite in this, and they played extremely well at Worlds. But I I, I kind of like this Korean team. Yeah, I'd say they've got a good shot. Yeah, they're. I, I think it's Japan, Korea. I, I mean, I don't know. Do you know anything about this Chinese team, Jason? Or um, you know, I agree that it is likely a Japan Korea final. I think those two are the uh, are, are the favorites uh, in this field and the, and the Chinese team is just a little bit younger. Um, you know ever since uh, Betty Bing Yu Wang retired from from curling, uh, the shift has been to the younger players who were coming out of juniors in China and I don't think they've quite gotten there yet compared to the the, the team uh, from the Nakajima team in Japan and the Kim team from uh, from Korea. So I, I would definitely say that those two are the favorites. I might actually favor Korea in this as well, Ryan. Yeah, they've, I mean, they've been pretty good on the WCT uh, the last few years. They just have never broken through with, um, with 
Jim and she, uh, as skip, um, I know that team has had success, um, in its previous iterations, uh, cause she's played on the world level before. I believe she's also played in Olympics. Um, but they've, they've had success on the WCT, but now they get the chance, uh, to perform as team Korea. I mean, we're, we're used here in North America is to, to seeing the two team Kims, but I, I like this team to kind of break out and make a name for themselves in this tournament. Yeah, it'll be interesting to, to watch. Um, you know, what I found, um, and you, you were talking a little bit about the creativity that uh, Yuta Matsumura has a, as a skip, and, and I, I feel like the, the Korean teams on the women's side uh, can, you know, strategize a bit more out of the box than the, the Japanese teams who tend to stick more to a, a regimented uh, strategy. So that's why I think maybe the Korean team is slightly favored over the over the Japanese team, but uh, you know they're they're both really strong, and it, it really could go either way, I think. Um, and you never know. I mean, China playing on on their uh, home soil, maybe that gives them a extra little bit of motivation to uh, win the gold this year. Uh, yeah, so it'll be. I I imagine you'll see Korea and Japan getting those two direct bids to Worlds. But yeah, as you said, I mean anything can anything can happen. Um, I imagine you're going to see China playing either Japan or Korea in the two three game. And as you said, on Chinese soil, anything can happen in that in that game. That's going to decide uh, who has the the direct shot. Uh, the other five teams, there is no Team New Zealand for the second straight year on the women's side, but you do have Team Australia. Lauren Wagner is the skip. This is her second PACC. She finished fourth in 2016. Uh, no women's no women's world's appearances for any of the teams that I'm about to mention. Um, Heidi Lin is skipping the Chinese Taipei women's team. It's the first appearance for Chinese Taipei at PACCs on the women's side since 2006. Um, Hong Kong, there's a team representing Hong Kong on the women's side, Ling Yu Hung. Uh, this team has finished fourth the last two years. Kazakhstan is city uh, sending a team. Uh, they went two and four last year. It's the fifth overall appearance for Kazakhstan on the women's side. And Qatar, it's their third appearance. They do not yet have a win on uh, in the PACCs on the women's side. Jason, what can you tell us about curling in Qatar? Well, I know that they're still coached by uh, a really good and a nice uh, Hungarian coach. Um, you know, the curling in Qatar, I, I don't know where they're actually curling, but I do know that they're all they're all locals from there. Huh. Um, we don't see them playing elsewhere. I, uh, although I do know that sometimes they, they do have a little, little bit more challenge traveling and, and visas and, and things like that. So um, otherwise, I think it's the same same teams on both the men's and the women's sides from, from the previous couple of years. And, and they're just lovely people. I just don't think they have enough uh, opportunity to train. Um, and if they can get more opportunity to train and, and play in Monspiels, uh, they can get better, uh, you know, th they'll get better a lot more quickly. So and they, they wear orange and maroon. So as a Virginia Tech uh, football fan, uh, they're, they're going to get my support wearing those colors. Um, is there? But I do think they are a well-funded association in terms of getting their costs covered to go to Pacifics. So better, at least more, more funded than uh, some of the other federations. Um, out, of those, out of those five, Australia, Chinese Taipei, Hong Kong, Kazakhstan, and Qatar, is there any one that kind of stands out above the other? You know, this is going to be a really interesting uh, women's draw, I think. You know, as, as you mentioned, Lauren, 
uh, Wagner of Australia with Jen Westhagen, Kristen uh, Solanias, uh, and they finished fourth a, a few years ago. Um, that's a really solid team. Um, Chinese Taipei, their first entry, skipped by Heidi and Amanda, their vice. Th those two at the back end, they're, they're quite strong. They, they haven't been curling for all that long, but they're, they're good curlers. Um, the Kazakhstan's, I think, is largely bringing back the, the same team. Uh, they've been improving every single year. Um, and, and last year, you know, they finished, uh, you were saying two and four, and they were actually two and four with Hong Kong and, uh, Australia, I believe. And, uh, Hong Kong snuck through to fourth place because of DSC, because they had a one, one record against each other. So it was, it's been very close in the last few years. Ling, who plays mixed doubles with me and, uh, plays mixed with me. Um, she's got a new lineup too. Um, my, my wife Ada is actually moving from second to third stones. Uh, they lost their third because she's, uh, Julie Morrison, she's a, a Scottish originally, but she's been living in Hong Kong for almost the last six or seven years. She's moving out of Hong Kong uh, to Ireland because of her husband's work, so she's no longer playing. Uh, Ashura's moving up to second from lead, and uh, they've got a, a couple of uh, newer curlers at lead and alternate. So it's going to be uh, you know, a big challenge for them to get up to speed very quickly because uh, they haven't all played together yet. And... Um, so we'll see how Ling can, can manage that. And, uh, you know, I'm expecting the team from Qatar to do better this year than they did last year in terms of, uh, you know, the, the competitiveness of their game. We already saw a bit of an improvement from last year to the, from the year before. So I, I anticipate that they've been training hard. Um, but in terms of who's going to get that fourth spot, um, it, it's, uh, it's a bit up in the air. I, I really don't know. Yeah, I'd, I'd agree with that. I mean, I don't know... I know Jess went. I know the Australian team a bit. Um, I actually played in uh, a coach's game at the World Bees a few years ago with Jen Westhagen. We won, so uh, <laughs> so she's good enough to win the coach's game at the Junior Bees. And that's actually some good curlers playing in that. So it's not not uh, nothing to sneeze at. Uh, and I think Kazakhstan's interesting. Like they're all young. I think they're still all eligible for juniors, and they were not a strong team when they showed up. Um, like four years ago at the World Bees, but they've gotten better every year at the Bees. Last year they were um, on a tiebreaker just just to miss making the playoffs uh, there. And uh, I think Satora Aliova, Aliova was skipping the team at the World Mix this year, and they were again kind of on the cusp of making the playoffs there. So they're they're kind of starting to build as a team. So maybe not this year, but it's, it's kind of one of those countries that looks like their program's really rising quickly. Yeah, and, and they, they train they train hard there too, I, I think. So um, I, I agree with you. You know, Kazakhstan, it may, maybe it's Kazakhstan's year. I don't know. I, uh, although, you know, Australia is coming back with, a, I think, a very strong team. Uh, you know, they're, they're still quite young, but they've got lots of curling experience among the four of them, um, including Carly Milliken at Lead, Leadstone. So, um, you know, maybe from a up and down the lineup, from lead to skip, maybe Australia have a bit of an advantage. But, uh, you know, it's which team can sort of put it all together and win that key battle against each other. That's, that's the key for, for the women's side, right? It's the match against, you know, the Hong Kong versus Australia match, the Australia versus Kazakhstan, Kazakhstan against Hong Kong. That, that, those are the key matches, right? And throw in Chinese Taipei in there too this year. So, Yeah, so it's kind of almost a mini league between those four teams. Absolutely. And, you know, how the, um, you know, how the teams decide to to play the, those games in terms of where they are uh, in the schedule, you know, how you make use of the alternate uh, 
you know, for, for some of these teams might play into factor if you've got a two game day on one day, right. Or something like that. So it'll be interesting to see what the, what the coaches decide to do as well. All right. I'm looking forward to watching uh, this. These games will very likely be on YouTube from the WCF uh, YouTube channel. Um, there's about there's usually about a 12 hour difference between Eastern Standard Time uh, and where these games are played. So I can usually catch games right before I go to bed and then right when I wake up. Um those, those games in the middle of the day, I'm usually not able to see. But uh, yeah, definitely. I, I, I don't know. I like this tournament. Um, I, I, I like that it's growing. Um, I like that this is where curling is, is really growing as a whole. Uh, Jason, um, I can't let you go without asking about kind of what what's going on in Hong Kong. Um, it, how is that situation at all affecting uh, the curling team? Does that, that does that affect anything that you guys do? Um, and is it is it safe to like if if someone's looking at, at from a tourism uh, standpoint, is it safe to go into Hong Kong right now? Yeah, from the t- curling team side, uh, not really. We're we're we practice and train the same way, um, you know, regardless of uh, you know whatever is happening there. Um, in terms of, you know, traveling to Hong Kong, you know, it's certainly safe like you would if there are things happening in certain parts of the world. You, you, you avoid the places where, you know, there might be protests happening, right? Um, all of us who are coming in from, from Canada or elsewhere to the Pacifics, we're all flying through to Hong Kong and not going directly to Shenzhen. So we certainly feel uh, safe enough to spend a, a day or two in Hong Kong. Um, and uh, for travelers, uh, the, the key thing is just to... to Pay attention to where the protests are. Those are the areas that you don't visit on on that day of the tour, and give yourself some extra time to get to the airport. All right, uh, thank you, thank you so much for joining us. Do you have anything you want to say either about um, the growth of curling in this in this area or this tournament in particular before we let you go? Well, I look forward to the day where uh, Asia Pacific gets so large that we either have to do an A division, B division, or two pools because I think we're starting to head in that direction. Uh, we certainly need a name change from Pacific Asia to, to something else because now that we've got Nigeria um, in our zone, um, we know that curling is developing in Saudi Arabia. We know it's developing in Afghanistan and, and India and possibly some other places I'm not even sure about. So I, I look forward to the day where we're going to have 14, 15, 16 teams on the men's side and the women's side at the Pacific. Probably the men's will probably get there first in terms of uh, getting to maybe two pools or uh, an A and B divisions. I don't know how... We know what will happen when we hit the, the maximum for a one pool event. Um, but uh, that would be a great day when uh, Pacific Asia curling gets to that point. We ran into that name difficulty when I was curling in Oklahoma and we were trying to decide what do you name a region that goes from Colorado to Texas to Iowa um, to Arkansas to Oklahoma. And my suggestion was the Big 12 uh, and that got rejected. But uh, maybe <laughs> maybe you can steal that for, for your region. <laughs> <laughs> we might be able to steal that for one year until the next year when another nation joins on. Hey, the Big 12 has 10 teams and the Big 10 has 14, so <laughs> names don't matter. <laughs> Jason, thank you so much for joining us. Good luck uh, at the tournament, uh, and we, we really enjoyed having you on. Hopefully, hopefully you'll, uh, you'll, you'll come, on, uh, come on again in the future. Well, thanks very much, Ryan and Jonathan, for having me. Uh, Ryan, I look forward to meeting you at some point as well. And uh, anytime, guys, I'd be happy to come on again. All right. We appreciate it. Thank you for listening to Rocks Across the Pond, a curling podcast. 
You can find all of our previous episodes and blog posts at rocksacrossthepond.com. Please remember to subscribe on Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, Stitcher, TuneIn, or your favorite podcast app, and leave a review. If you enjoyed listening, the greatest compliment we can receive is when you tell a friend about us. That helps us grow and helps us share our love of this great game. If you have a comment or question, or you just want to talk about curling, you can email us at rocksacrossthepond at gmail.com or find us on Twitter at Curling Podcast. We are also on Facebook and Instagram at Rocks Across the Pond. Thank you again, and we will talk to you real soon.